Well, good morning, South Hills Church. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. If you um, don't have a Bible, hopefully you received the handout on your way in here that has the passage printed for you. Um, but if you um, have your Bible, you're not quite sure where Acts is in your Bible. It's um, in the second half of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's the fifth book. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four authorized biographies of Jesus, and then Acts. So as you're finding your way there, we're going to look at that in just a minute. If you've been coming here for the past couple weeks, you know that we're in the middle of a series that we're doing on mission and vision. And so the last two weeks, we've been focused on the mission, and today we'll be talking uh, about the vision going forward. And so just to kind of define the terms and go back there, and certainly in terms of the terms that we're talking about, the mission is why do we exist And we talked about how Matthew 28 is where any legitimate Christian church, this is where they're going to find their mission. Some paraphrased version of Matthew 28 is the mission of the church. It's been there for 2,000 years and will continue. That is the mission. It is very clear. So that's why we exist. We exist to make disciples. And to make disciples, that means we're helping people find Jesus and we're also helping people follow Jesus as a lifestyle. It's both sides of that. Help them find Jesus, help people follow Jesus as a lifestyle that we would go and make disciples. That's why we exist. That's very clear. Then there's the vision is what are we doing? And this is going to be different. Every legitimate Christian church is going to have the same clear mission because it comes from Matthew 28. Now the vision, how we do it is going to look different from church to church. And here we are at South Hills Church saying, what's going to be our vision moving forward? And I'll say this, I'm not exactly sure yet. We're still figuring that out, that that we're still discovering what the vision is for South Hills Church moving forward. And I've only been here a couple of months, and part of it is because I'm still trying to learn the church, the culture, the community. And so if I came in and said, here's our vision, you should be a little bit scared because you're like, I don't know, have you been here long enough to really know all these different aspects. And the truth is I haven't. And so I'm still learning. We're still figuring it out. But it's getting clear that as every day that we continue to move forward, it's getting clearer and clearer in terms of what is God calling us to be about and what is he doing. So today I want to talk about some of the things that are helping give us clarity in terms of our vision and the things that are shaping the vision in terms of how we're moving forward. And so that's what we're going to be looking at, talking about today. But before that, I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Um, and we're going to look at this passage together, but before we do, let's take a moment, and um, I just want to invite you to pray with me as we open up this time. So let's take, let's take a moment, let's pray again together. God, I do want to say thank you for this congregation. Thank you for those who have come here today. Um, Lord, we're here, and we're, we're, we're coming into your presence, and we're grateful that we get to come with your people on this day to worship you, to recognize you, to come to your word. God, we pray that you would give us um, ears to hear what you have to say, that you would give us soft hearts towards who you are and soft hearts towards the people around us, that you would continue to do work in this church, that you would do all that you need to do in us so that you can do all that you want to do through us, that we might be a church that brings you honor and praise. God, we pray this together in your name. Amen. 
Okay, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture. We're going to look at Acts chapter 16. Like I said, we're going to look at the first five verses in this chapter. Um, So you can follow along with me. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 16, it says this. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Now, Before we look a little bit closer at this passage, we need to have some understanding of the context of the book of Acts and where this falls in the book of Acts. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first chapter of Acts, where Acts chapter 1 verse 8 really gives the, it's the key verse to the book of Acts, and it sets the table of contents, what, what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is about the acts of the apostles and the expansion of the church. The church is born and it explodes and expands. And that's what we see take place throughout the book of Acts, the acts of the apostles. And in in verse um, 8 in chapter 1, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is that moment right before Jesus ascends to heaven. This is the, the final moment of his earthly ministry. And he says to the disciples, his closest friends, he says, wait, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. That is, you will testify to who I am, to, the, to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the, of, the, of the earth. And so it sets this trajectory of what they're called to do and the expansion of the church. And that's exactly what we see happen in the book of Acts. We see the church being born there in Jerusalem. After Peter gives this sermon and people put their faith in Christ, boom, the church happens and it expands and it thrives. And for two years, it continues to grow and thrive within the city of Jerusalem. But after two years, there's persecution that takes place um, on the church. And because of the intense pressure and persecution, the church then scatters. It, it moves out beyond the city of Jerusalem to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. Because of that persecution and pressure, the church then begins to expand. And, then we, and we see that take place throughout the book of, in the book of Acts. We see the birth of the church, the persecution, the expansion, and then the apostle Paul takes the, the good news and he goes to the ends of the earth. He goes out further, setting the trajectory for the church to continue to expand. And that's what we see happen throughout the book of Acts, the expansion of the church. And it's all very exciting. The church is growing. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ is going out and more and more people are coming to faith in Christ. Now, this is exciting, but it also creates challenges. It creates tension in the church. And there's great controversy that takes place because now the Christian church, which was predominantly made up of Jewish Christians, is now expanding to non-Jewish people. 
And now non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. And it creates this, this tension within the church. Because now Jewish Christians are confronted with non-Jewish Christians who are coming to faith in Christ. And they're, they're confronted by their own deep-seated prejudice towards outsiders. They're like, wait, can they become a Christian? Because they're not Jewish. And so they have their own bias. They have their own prejudice towards others who are coming to faith in Christ. And then all of a sudden, they're faced with this other challenge, which is, wait, you've got to be Jewish to be a Christian. That is, you need to have all the laws. You need to, have, you need to be circumcised. And all of a sudden, these non-Jewish people, that's not a part of their culture. They didn't have all the laws. And they didn't have circumcision as a part of their culture. Now they're coming to faith in Christ. And the, the Jewish Christians are saying, wait a minute. And there, there's tension and in Acts chapter 15, we see this really um, come to a head. We see in Acts chapter 15, Jewish believers go out from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas, and they started to teach that in order to be saved, you needed to be circumcised and follow the Jewish laws. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, were adamantly opposed to this teaching because they said, no, 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 no. It, it, you're, you're missing it. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about, it's by grace through faith alone. It's not about laws and rituals. But the Jewish believers were saying, no, 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 you need to be circumcised. And they became, there was such um, tension and controversy over this that the church sends Paul and Barnabas to, back to Jerusalem to meet with the elders, the leaders of the church, to bring this to them, the council of the elders, to say, we need to make a decision on this. And so that's what we see happen in Acts chapter 15. And Paul, Barnabas, they go and they meet with the elders and they begin to discuss this issue. And it's an issue that is debated and they start to think this through. It's not just who can become a Christian, that is, can non, non-Jewish people become Christians because they've already seen that happen. But the question then becomes, what's the requirement for salvation? Do you need to become Jewish first in order to become a Christian? Do you need to be circumcised first in order to become a Christian? And after, uh, you know, hearing and and listening and and praying, they make a declaration. And here's the declaration that James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, makes in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. This is what he says. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, who are turning to God. So, This is the statement he's making. He's saying, no, if you're turning to God, let's not make it difficult. That is, we shouldn't require surgery for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is good news. (laughs) And I'm sure all the non-Jewish people, especially the men, were very relieved by this declaration. Okay? I mean, think about church membership. You show up to the church and it's like, hey, you know, in order to become a Christian, here's this, this long list of laws and rules that you need to follow. And by the way, we have a little surgery that you need to have as well. Don't worry. We've got a guy out back. He'll take care of you. It'll be over before you know it. All the non-Jewish guys are like, no, thank you. I'm not coming to that church. They drop off their wife and their kids and say, call me when the service is over, okay? I'm not coming. If that's what membership to this church is about, no thank you. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, listen, we are making it difficult for people who are turning to God. We're, we're putting obstacles in front of people in terms of turning, they're turning to Jesus. And we know that we stand on the same ground as them, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. 
nothing else. Now, the law is good, but the law is meant to point us to our need for a Savior. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. We put our faith in Him, and we're saved. And so this is the great declaration that James makes. No longer extra things. Let's not, the only stumbling block for someone in coming to Jesus needs to be the cross. And let's not put anything else that's difficult, hoops that they have to jump through, obstacles to get to Jesus. So this is a great statement that he makes. Now, after this, it's very interesting um, the Apostle Paul, at the end of, of chapter 15, after this great kind of victory, what they call the Jerusalem Council, that changed really the church, and it's, it had a great impact then. It still has impact for us now. It clarifies the gospel for us. Um, after this moment, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, who were side by side um, fighting for the, 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 the gospel, the purity of the gospel, they get sideways with one another. And at the end of chapter 15, they get into a sharp dispute, a debate over John Mark and if he is qualified to go with them on their next missionary journey. And they disagree, and it's so sharp, so strong, that they part ways, that they separate. And so uh, Barnabas goes with John Mark, and he sails one way, and Paul takes Silas, and he goes another way. And Paul, at that point, is then looking for someone else that he can mentor, that he can bring up, and be a partner with him, a companion in the, in the gospel. And this is where we then pick up in Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this. This is Paul on his second missionary journey. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer and whose father was a Greek. And so G, uh, Paul shows up here. In this area, he meets Timothy. And here's what we learn about Timothy in this passage, that he is biracial. His mother was Jewish and a believer, and his father was a Greek. And so this is Timothy who, who Paul meets. Now, this is what we, we also learn about um, Timothy in this next, next verse. It says this, The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Paul meets Timothy, and everyone is saying, Man, Timothy is a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. He has character. He has passion. He has giftedness. And so he's li- they're speaking well of who he is. And Paul is looking at Timothy saying, I want a partner. I want someone I can invest in. I want a pastor who can help me with these church- churches that are being planted. And so in verse 3, it says this. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he what? He circumcised him. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, if you read this, you're thinking, you're saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you just get done at the Jerusalem council fighting for the fact that, that, that circumcision is not necessary to be a follower of Jesus Christ? That now here in this passage, what does he do with Timothy? He has him circumcised. You're like, well, which is it, Paul? What is it? Why, why is you having Timothy be circumcised? And it tells us here in this passage, it says this. He circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So just as James had made the statement in Acts chapter 15, let's not make it difficult for the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, to turn towards God. Now Paul is in a new city, in a new community, a new culture, and he's saying, let's not make it difficult for the Jewish people who are turning to God. 
He's, he's saying, listen, the Jewish people that you're, we're going to be speaking to in this culture, in this context, in this city, they're going to have a hard time listening to Timothy when they find out that his dad is Greek, that he's, he's biracial. They're going to say, wait, 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 are you really one of us? And they're going to look at him with suspect. They're not going to hear the message that he has to say. Just like the Apostle Paul had that when, when he first came on the scene. People were like, whoa, whoa, you were persecuting Christians. Can we really trust you? And it took time. The Apostle Paul recognizes that the young Jewish people who are turning to Jesus may not trust Timothy because he, they don't want to know if he's one of them. Now, Paul knows that circumcision is nothing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says this, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. So he's saying, hey, it's not about this is the way to become a Christian. He's saying, this is the way for us to get the message of Christ to people who may not otherwise hear. So in one setting, he's saying, let's not make it difficult for the non-Jewish people. And in another setting, he's saying, let's not make it difficult for the Jewish people who are turning to Christ. And so he has Timothy circumcised so that they might hear what he has to say. And this is, this is a fascinating thing. Now, what's the result of that? This is the result. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached to the, by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Can you imagine this? The newly circumcised uh, Tim, uh, Timothy is now going from town to town, delivering the message that was, that was, that was, that was conclusion that came from Acts chapter 15, that you don't need to be circumcised. Isn't that ironic? But he's circumcised so that they can hear and get past their bias, the fact that, oh, are you really a, truly a Jewish person? So that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In order for the mission, that is, the good news of Jesus Christ to be declared, they had to change the method so that they might hear it. Now, what's the result of his willingness to be changed and to reach people right where they're at? In verse 5, it says this, so the churches were strengthened in faith and, and grew daily in numbers. So the church was strengthened. They grew in their faith. They had better disciples, and then they grew daily in numbers. They had more disciples. So as a result of their willingness to change their, their method, the mission was able to go forward, and the church grew. This is an important thing for us to get. And here's the principle that I want you to see. The principle is this, that for the mission to never change, we must always be changing. For the mission to never change, we must always be changing. The Apostle Paul wanted the good news of Jesus Christ to be spread. And he recognized that we need to change in order to reach the people in this culture, in this context. And he's willing to be all things to all people so that they might come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way, if we want to stay on mission and allow our mission to never change, we as a church need to be willing to change and be willing to adapt to reach the people that God is bringing to us. And this is an important thing. When it comes to our vision, we have to have this in mind as we come forward to say, God, where are you leading us? How are you shaping our vision? And we have to be willing to change and willing to adapt so that we can reach people. Now, the question is, what's our vision? Now, again, like I said, it's not as clear as the mission right now, but there are things that are shaping it, that are clarifying it. And we have five filters that I'd like to just share with you to help you to see what are the things that are helping to clarify and to shape our vision. And so the first one is this. It's the filter of evaluation. 
the filter of evaluation. That is that we need to be willing to evaluate um, what is going on. Again, for our mission to never change, we need to evaluate what are we doing and is it still working? Is it still reaching the people that God is placing to us? So we have to ask questions and we have to evaluate. Is this still working? Is this still, are we still on mission in the culture, in the environment that we're in? Um, Howard Hendricks is a, a, a well-known you know, teacher, speaker, author. Um, he's no longer with us, but he, he um, in one of the books I remember reading that he wrote, um, he's a guy who is known for both being uh, humorous and blunt at the same time. He had great humor and he was blunt, but he would consult with churches. And I remember reading a story of when he was consulting with one particular church. And after spending several days with this church, he said to the church, here's what you need to do. You need to put a fence around your church and then put a gate there and charge admission because this church stands as a museum of how church should, was done in 1970. So again, humor and bluntness. He was saying, listen, you guys are stuck 40, you're, you're, stuck, you're stuck in the past. This is a museum of how church was done. And, and you haven't adapted, you haven't changed. You could charge admission because this is, this is a church that has not adapted, has not changed over time. And this is why this is a, both challenging um, and a little bit humorous, that we can hold on to things and say, yeah, 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 my mission, it's clear, it's there. And there's so many churches that are saying, our mission hasn't changed, how come we're not growing? Our mission hasn't changed, how come we're declining? Well, it's because we are not willing to adapt. We're not willing to change. And here's a, here's a statement that I want you to look at. That every church is perfectly designed to get the results they are currently getting. Every church is perfectly designed to get the results that they're currently getting. There's so many churches that are saying, hey, here's our mission. Why aren't we growing younger? How come we're not reaching more people? How come the church isn't thriving in certain ways? And the question is, have you been willing to change, to evaluate what you're doing so that you can keep the mission going and, and continue to expand and grow? And this isn't just a church problem. This is a, this is a reality that we face in all sorts of arenas of life. Let me just illustrate this with a couple of mission statements that you may or may not be familiar with. Here's a mission statement I want you to re- see with me. It says this, our corporate mission is to provide our customers with the most convenient access to media, entertainment, including movies and game entertainment, delivered through multiple distribution channels such as our stores, by mail, vending, kiosks, online, and at home. Whose mission statement is that? What's that? Redbox, Blockbuster. It's Blockbuster. They're in the entertainment business. They were. (laughs) There you go. That's right. Some of you are like, what was Blockbuster? The young kids are like, what's Blockbuster? They don't know. But uh, (laughs) Blockbuster was in the entertainment business. There was a moment they, 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 they say, hey, this is what we're delivering. Now, there is lots of opportunity in the entertainment business. That hasn't gone away. But because they weren't able to shift and adapt with time and the changing culture, they went out of business. Let me give you another one. Here's another slogan. This is a, more of a slogan than it is a mission statement, but here's this one. It says, share memories, share life. Whose is this? Kodak. That's right. Kodak. Again, there were some students in this pre, the previous service that were like, what's Kodak? You know, what, what is that all about? You may not know what Kodak was, but it was a big deal, right? 
You're, you're familiar with Kodak. And, and here's the deal. Kodak share memories, share life. They, they've kind of lost a sense of their mission. They thought they were in the film business and they missed the fact that they were in the memory business. Now, here's an interesting thing. Kodak was the first, really, they, they developed the first digital camera. They developed the first digital camera, but they were still so, so tied to the old way of doing things, to film, that they weren't able to go forward because they're still tied to the old ways and they forgot that they, weren't in the, they were in the memory business, but they thought they were in the film business. And now, as a result, they're no longer. Um, they're a distant memory. And so there's, there's the challenge. Then here's another one. Here's another statement. To bring inspiration and, and, and innovation to every athlete in the world. You're like, oh, I don't know, but it is, it is Nike. That's Nike's mission statement. Now, Nike's mission statement was challenged a little bit ago, a couple years ago. Maybe you remember this. This is Zion Williamson. He was the number one recruit coming out of college a couple of years ago. Big time player, um, still is, wore Nikes. But this is a moment where he sprained his knee because his his Nike shoe exploded. Here's his shoe, but here's his foot hanging out of it right now. And you, you get this close-up picture of the shoe. You're like, whoa, what happened? Now, some of you guys remember when this happened. It was kind of big news. Um, Nike stock fell like $1.1 billion overnight. It was kind of a big deal. And you can imagine there was probably a lot of Nike execs on the phone that night, all night, the next day saying, what went wrong? Was this a manufacturing problem? Was this a, you know, was this a material problem? What, what, what went wrong? How is this happening? And so they had to do some serious reevaluation. And they went back to say, if we want to stay on mission to bring inspiration to athletes, this, this picture does not inspire inspiration to athletes. So if we want to stay on mission, we need to reevaluate what's going on so, and change so that we can stay on mission. Now, of course, they have money that's a little bit of a concern on their end, but they do want to stay on mission, and so they had to reevaluate to do that. Now, this, for a church, um, this is important for us to get to because um, the Nike, Nike is an organization, they're in the shoe business, and no offense to my friends who work at Nike, but the business of the church is the soul business, eternal salvation. We're in the business of people and their salvation and souls. And so again, we need to be, we have to come back to the fact that if our missions never change, we must always be changing because if a church doesn't change or adapt, look what happens. This is what happens. And there are churches declining and dying and all all over the, the country. And so we have to be a church that says, how can we keep moving forward? How can we stay on mission by being willing to change? And as a church, South Hills Church has been willing to do that. South Hills Church over time has changed, has adapted, but there's, we need to continue to change and adapt if we want to stay on mission. And some of you here have been here long enough to see lots of changes take place. You over time have seen things change, seen adaptions so that we continue to stay on mission and we can reach people. In fact, I would just want to just kind of just check and actually see how many of you have been here, how long some of you have been here. Some, so here's what I want to do. If you have been here for more than five years, you've been at South Hills Church for more than five years, would you stand up? Would you stand up? I just want to, we want to recognize those who have been here for more than five years. If you've been here less than five years, we love you. But these are the people who, over the course of the last five years, you've seen a lot of change. 
You've seen a lot of things happen. You've seen adaptions. You've seen COVID hit and all sorts of things get change. And so you've, you've lived through some of that. Now, how many of you have been here for 10 or more years? If you've been here for less than 10 years, will you sit down? And for those who have been here for, for 10 or more, stay standing. That's a lot of you. There's a number of you. Now, in 10 years, you've seen quite a bit of change. You've seen quite a bit of things happen here at this church. Now, let's do this. Um, uh, stay standing if, if you've been here for more than 15 years. Sit down if you've been here for less than 15 years. Okay, still a lot of you. Um, stay standing if you're here, been here for more than 20 years. You've been here for more than 20 years. Okay, there's still a, a large number of you. Anyone here been here for 30 years or more? 30 years or more. Wow. Let's hear it for these guys. They've been here for 30 years or more. I won't go any farther because it's like asking your age, okay? So I won't do that. But I will honor your commitment to this family, this church, and you've seen a lot of church, age, you know, a lot of things happen over the years. And, and if you're online, just type in how many years you've been here. We would love to know how long you've been here as well, because um, I know a number of you have been here for, and seen a lot of change too. So you are a church that has adapted and has been changed and, and seen things because you wanted to stay on mission. We need to continue to have that. But in order to stay on mission, we have to evaluate. We have to continue to evaluate, is it still working? Um, is, it, is, is what we're doing still, um, still working? And here's why this is, can be a challenge for us, is because what, a ch- what can happen with a church is you can have a paradigm-shifting, earth-shattering, life-changing, ministry-altering idea and we can get stuck on it. This is the best way to do it. In fact, it's not a bad thing that we have a, the best way to, at some point, the best way to do children's ministry, the best way to do men's ministry, the best way to, to, to a local community outreach, the best way then turns into this is the way that we do it. Now then over time, the way that we do it becomes a tradition. It's not just the way that we do it. This is our tradition. This is the thing we do every year, all the time. This is how we do it. Over time, the tradition becomes our identity. It's who we are. This is who we are. Now, over time, who we are becomes sacred. It's untouchable because it's who we are. It's our identity, and it's so ingrained. And then the question, which is, well, is it still the best way to? Can't be asked because it's sacred, and it can't be touched. And so you don't have the opportunity to go back through that cycle to say, okay, what worked 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Is it still the best way? when it becomes sacred. So in order for us to stay on mission, there's a couple of questions that we have to ask and some, a couple of, of applications for us. Um, the first one is this. We need to think like a new person. If we want to stay on mission, we need to think like a new person. That is, what does the new person feel when they're coming in, what they're experiencing? We need to, we need to think that way. Secondly, we need to evaluate relentlessly. We do need to keep evaluating. Is this still the best way? Is this, this, this program still working in the way that, that is giving us the results that we desire? And then in order to do that, there's some questions that we have to ask. Here's a couple of the questions. What is cultural and what is biblical? What is cultural and what is biblical? Secondly, uh, what is a personal preference and what is a theological conviction? We all have personal preferences, but the question is, is this a theological, theological conviction? Um, fourth, third one is, is, what is temporary cultural paradigm and what is an eternal principle? And then fourth, what is a sacred cow and what is a biblical command? We have to be willing to ask some of those hard questions if we want to stay 
on mission. We have to keep evaluating. And so that's the first one, evaluation. The second, fil- second filter that's giving clarity to our vision is this. It's the filter of targets. Now, let me talk about this for a moment. This is now I'm talking about, when I talk about targets, what I want to be clear about is this. We're talking about the weekend experience, this Sunday service. And the point is this. What are we, who are we targeting when, when people are coming and when we're thinking about the weekend and when it comes to our communication, when it comes to what our teaching pastors are saying, comes to the music style preference, when it comes to the, the, the way that we are trying to engage with people. So this is the, the weekend experience really that we're, we're talking about here. And the center of the target is a new believer. The center of the target is a new believer. So we're thinking about the brand new believer um, who is a follower of Christ. We're thinking about the person who came to faith on Thursday, and now they're a brand new creation. If they come here, they show up to South Hills Church on Sunday, we want them to connect. We want them to be able to say, wow, I'm meeting God here. I'm being fed here. I can grow here. I want to stay here. We're thinking about the new believer. Now, when we think about the new believer and we have them at the center of our target, then it has implications and it has, uh, it, it does affect how we do ministry. So here's, here's a couple of examples. If someone came to faith this last Thursday and shows up to church here on Sunday, they don't show up all of a sudden with a love for 200-year-old music. You know what I'm talking about? Someone who just comes to faith this last week shows up here, they don't automatically love 200-year-old music. Now, here's the deal. I love 200-year-old music. I think it's fantastic. I love hymns. I grew up in the church. I can sing all the hymns right along with everyone else, and I love them. There's deep richness, history, theology. I love it all. But the person who came to faith this last week, they don't get that immediately, right? They don't all of a sudden have a love for 200-year-old music. So at some point in South Hills Church's history, the leadership says, our target is a new believer. We need to have contemporary music. We want to reach people where they're, com- where they're at, and we want them to say, I've come to faith this last week. I show up here. I want to stay here because this music connects with me. Now, we can expand that. We can grow over time, but that's a decision that South Hills Church made, and we need to continue to think like that. At some point in South Hills Church's history, we decided to say, hey, we, we need to move away from formal um, attire in terms of coming to church. Now, some of you grew up in church where it was like, well, you, not, you, you know, maybe, and it was part of this, I'm sure this is church's experience too, where you, you, men would show up in a suit and tie, women would show up in, in dresses, and you've seen, you've seen the old pictures of, of maybe baseball games, men would show up in, in suits to baseball games, and it was kind of the, you'd go there, over time, that shifted for, you know, sport out, sporting outings, but for the church, it continued, and it went for quite some time. But at some point in South Hills Church's history, we recognize if we want to reach people, the new believer, we've got, to, we've got to shift how we do things. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but less than 25% of men own a suit. Less than 25% of men own a suit. And the guys who um, do have suits, many of those guys, when they show up, when they, they use the suit, you know, maybe once or twice a year for a, a wedding or a funeral. And each time they put it on, they realize um, that it doesn't fit them any longer, okay? <laughs> and it's very uncomfortable. They've got their one suit. It doesn't fit. And so at some point, South Hills Church's history, the leadership said, hey, we, if we want to reach people, we need to reach them where they're at. So if they've come to faith this last week, they show up. Oh, what is it like to show up in an environment, in an event where you feel underdressed? Have you ever been in that environment before? 
It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? Can you hear everything else or anything else that's going on when you're feeling very uncomfortable in what you're wearing? And so South Hills Church said, hey, we, we, we recognize if we want to reach people, we have to change. We have to do some things differently. We need to open those doors. Now, I, and there's lots of discussion and debate over all that, but this is part of the history of this church and needs to continue to be the history, part of the, the future of this church because we want to reach the, non- the new believer. We want to reach people who are coming to faith in Christ, help them to find a place here where they're comfortable, they can grow, they can stay, and they can continue to connect. So this is an important thing. The second thing is this, that we want to connect with the almost believer. That we want to be, uh, have an environment here where someone who's seriously investigating faith or has questions about God could come and say, this is a comfortable place for me. I can come here with my questions. Or even if I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, they're explaining it to me in a way that I understand. Or when I come, I feel loved. Or when I come, the music really connects with me. That the almost believer, those who are coming, who are investigating faith in Christ, would say, okay, this is a place that I can grow, that I can continue to connect. And this is important. And I, and I know that there's, there is debate out there. You may not be f- familiar with this, but there's debate among many Christians about what the nature of the church is to be about. Is it for non-Christians? Is it for Christians? And there's this debate. And so there's some churches that say, well, hey, the church is all about helping non-Christians come to faith in Christ. And so they focus so much on come to Jesus, come to Jesus. But then once you come to Jesus, they don't really help them grow in terms of their faith in Christ. And then there's churches that are on the other extreme, which is like once they come to Christ, then they can show up here. We will grow them and develop them. And either extreme is unhealthy, that we really do need to be a church that's about helping people find Jesus and follow Jesus. We need both. And, um, but in terms of what the church is about, I do believe that the church is for believers. It is for the called out ones, the ecclesia. It, it means called out. And so it is for those who have faith in Christ. But here's the interesting thing, um, that we need to keep an eye out for those who are investigating, who are curious, who are coming to us. And the Apostle Paul, in fact, in 1 Corinthians is a verse that kind of stands out this, in this passage, Paul's talking about the debate over tongues, and we're not going to go into that debate today. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but here's this interesting statement that comes in this conversation, this debate over speaking in tongues. This is what Paul says. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers and unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So here the apostle Paul is saying, listen, we need to have an order. We need to operate in such a way on the, on, in our worship experiences that, that is for believers, but also has an eye for the unbeliever. That we're considering those who are skeptical or questioning or coming who don't yet know Jesus, that we need to keep an eye out for them. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's all about helping Christians grow, is also recognizing we need to pay attention to those who are on that front end. And so that's why when we come together, we'll talk about, hey, here's, you're not sure where Acts is in the Bible? Let's help you find it, because you may not know. If there's a, there's a, a word in, that Scripture uses as a mature believer, as a Christian that you've been growing up in church, you know, you've heard about circumcision, and you've heard about all these different things that makes sense to you, but for the non you know, the almost believer, they're like, well, this seems a little weird. And so we'll talk about that and we'll try to explain it and help, help come to better understanding. We want to help people who are questioning, wondering, and trying to figure out who Jesus is. So that's part of our target. Then the third target is this, the seventh grader. That for many churches, and you, we've seen it for um, some time, it's discouraging that, that when students graduate from high school, they 
they end up graduating from their faith. They end up walking away from the church. And we don't want that to happen here at South Hills Church. So we want to go and reach the seventh grader. We want middle schooler students to be able to come to this environment and say, this engages me. This, this is something that I, there's, I can learn here. I'm loved here. I connect with the worship and the music here. I connect with the people here. This is, we want seventh graders. We want to catch them early because if they say not just, we, and of course we want them to have a great youth group experience. We want um, that to happen, but we also want them to have a connection to that church because when youth group's over, what are they connected to? And so we want to start early connecting them to the church so they say, okay, this is the long-term trajectory for my life, connecting to the church body, to the family of God. So important. The fourth target is this, the mature believer. The mature believer. That is that we don't want to leave anyone behind. That we are, we are not as, we want everyone to grow in their faith, that we're not going to dumb things down. We're going to talk about everything that the Bible talks about, we'll talk about. We'll talk about theological issues, cultural issues, social issues, that we aren't going to hold things back, but we are, we want everyone to grow. We want, we want, there's a place for the mature believer where there's a place for the, the new believer, all, everything in between. And now, Here's what, I'll just say this for the, for the mature believer, and that's, I'm in that category too. I'm the, I'm the mature believer. We're on the outside circle, and this is important for us to recognize that we are not the center of the target. And here's why this is important, because I believe if you put the mature believer at the center and you work your way out, you reverse the order, you won't reach all of the targets. But if you keep the new believer in the center, we can reach all all four targets, but it doesn't work if you reverse it. And, and here's why. When you think about it, what happens if we don't connect with our targets? What happens if we do not connect with the new believer? They'll stop attending. The person who comes to faith on Thursday shows up on a Sunday. If they don't connect, where will they go? They'll go away. Will they tell us that they're not staying? Will we know that they came and didn't show up again? Not likely. They'll just stop attending. If we don't connect with the almost believer, what happens? They won't believe. Now, if God's after them, he's going to get them. I just want it to be here at South Hills Church. I want those who are, who are investigating faith, trying to understand who Jesus is, that they would say, this is an environment for me where I can learn more about what the Bible says, that I'm not being pressured or pushed, but that I'm allowed to grow in my faith in this place, in this environment, and it, and, it, and it still connects with me. We want that. What happens if the seventh grader doesn't connect? They'll be bored. If we aren't recognizing there's young people in this room that we want to have a love for the church in their future, we need to acknowledge them. We need to recognize them. We need to speak to them. We need to find ways to engage with them so that their faith will continue to grow. Their connection to the church will continue to grow. And we don't want them to say church was boring. It was my, just a thing that my parents or grandparents made me go to. Because when a student is bored, what do they do? They're, they tune things out. They're going to draw pictures. They're going to draw pictures of the pastor. I've had many of those over the years. Um, they're going to they're start just zoning out. They're going to start counting all of the different spaces um, in the worship set. You know, these little <laughs> blocks. In fact, I had a middle school, um, middle school tell me there's 52 of them. <laughs> so they did it. They counted. They were bored. You know, they went, they went there. So, but we want to engage with them. We want to connect with the seventh grader. Um, what happens if we don't connect with the mature believer? They might complain. 
Of course, a mature believer would never complain, right? That's why I say might complain. A mature believer would never complain. They just want to have a discussion. And I get that. And there's a place and time for that. But what happens for many churches when they put um, the, the, what, we, what comes down to is a, a squeaky wheel syndrome, where the mature believer, they're going to be the ones that speak up. None of these other three are going to talk to you. They'll never, they'll never say anything. They'll just stop attending. They won't believe. They'll be bored. The mature believer, they'll say something. They might complain. They might have a discussion. And what we do is we have the squeaky wheel syndrome and we kind of end up focusing our attention on meeting those needs and we end up not hitting all of these targets. And we've seen that many, many places where churches focus on the mature believer and they're declining in, on, in numbers and they don't know why. And so it's important for us to just recognize there's a place for everyone, but we need to, it, it has implications in terms of how we do, what we do, why we're doing the things that we're doing so that we can reach all four. Now, let's go on to the next one. The next one is this. Um, the next target, uh, so next filter is the filter of age. The filter of age. And this is important to stop and just address that um, the, the fact is, we are, as a church, there's, there's, we're an aging congregation, and there's lots of aging congregations across the country, and, th- and that's a reality. And we know, and, and we see it nationally, um, younger people who are, who are not sticking and not staying, who are graduating from their faith, we want to continue to reach them. We want to connect them. And so, as a church, the question is, how do we keep connecting with them? How do we make sure that we're a church that is, is connecting and reaching with a younger um, audience? And so, really, when it comes to this concept, we really want to be a church. And this is the, the statement that I want you to see. We want to be a church that your children and grandchildren want to attend. And I know for many of you, you have children or grandchildren who don't attend this church or any church. But we want to be a church that connects with them, that reaches them. That we want to be a church that says, hey, we want to continue to grow younger so that we can continue to grow and thrive and continue to expand as a church. And so this is, this is just kind of a statement. The question is, well, how do we do that? How do we know that we're doing that? And part of it is we, don't, we won't know what we don't measure and so once a year, we're going to do an annual survey just to say, where are we at? What's our demographic? Who's coming? Where, where, how are we doing in terms of people who are coming to faith in Christ or who are getting baptized? And, and what, what is our church demographic? And today's that day. You received a survey on your way in here, perhaps. Hopefully you did. Um, if not, you can raise your hand. We have a couple of, raise your hand. We have a survey, actually. And pull them out right now. I want to give you a moment right now in the service to fill this out. If you're online, this is a moment where you can go. And we're just going to give you a minute right now to fill out the service. Just a few questions. Very simple. But I want every single one of you to fill it out. It will help us out because we want to do this once a year. Who are we? Where are we at? Maybe you've found your survey and you've already filled it out, but will you please do it? It'll help us know where we are at and we'll do it once a year and we'll, it will help us and allow us to say, where are we going? And even if you're here and this is your first time here, I still want you to fill it out because we want to have a sense of who we are, who's coming. We'll do it again next year. We'll, we'll have, that, have that orientation. So if you want to do it digitally on, the, on the, the survey there, you can, you know, go to the QR code and you can do it digitally. We'll capture that information as well. But keep that hand raised if you don't have it. Be filling it out right now even as I talk. I'm giving you time to do that. If you're, doing it, if you're watching online, please fill it out, um, that survey. Um, what we'll do with that is once you fill out this survey, we'll let you 
uh, we would love it if you would put it in those the offering boxes that are in the back of the worship center. If you're online, you're do, doing it digitally, you're great. Nice thing is you don't have to do anything with it. But if you're filling out the paper, um, fill it out. Just take a few moments to fill it out. And then before you go today, we'd love for you to um, turn it in because we'd like to have some sense of where we're at and where we're going and where we're going. So yeah, just continue to take those. I'll let you continue to fill it out. And if you um, want, if you need more time, you can have time at the end of the service, but we do want to make sure that you have these. And if for some reason we keep on going and you don't get one, please grab one um, before you go today, okay? So I beat this this enough, um, and you're filling it out right now, which I love and I want you to keep doing, but I want to move on because there's a few more things that I want to say before we go. So keep at it. Keep working online if you, if you need to. Um, turn them in at the end of the service, but I'm going to keep going to the next, the next slide. The next one is this. The last, uh, we're kind of towards the end here. The filter of discipleship is another aspect that we want to focus on as a church that's shaping our vision. I'm going to go a little bit slower because I see some of you guys are still working on your surveys, and I want to give you time to do that. I want to, because I, I it really will be valuable for us. But let's go to this next one. The, the filter of discipleship is this. So let me just give you a couple of terms. A disciple is anyone who is taking steps towards Jesus. If you're here, even if you haven't committed yet to be a follower of Christ, if you're taking steps, you're a disciple. That is, you're learning, you're following. That's great. There's lots of, there's anyone who's taking steps towards Jesus is a disciple. Then there's a disciple maker, anyone who's intentionally helping others take steps towards Jesus. If you're a parent, you're helping your kids, you're a disciple maker. If you're someone who's working with someone at, at, at your, in your school, trying to encourage them in your faith, you're, you're a disciple maker. If you're a coworker, you're spending time with, you're a Bible study leader, you're a disciple maker. The, anyone who's intentionally helping others take steps towards Jesus. And then there's a mature disciple, anyone who no longer is dependent on others to grow spiritually. That if you are all on your own with the Bible and the Holy Spirit, you would continue to grow. That you're, there's a sense that you're not dependent on others to grow, that you're mature. You've, you've launched in a certain sense. And we find this coming from Hebrews. Um, it says this in Hebrews chapter 5, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, that there's a sense of maturity, that you've, you've grown, and that you're able to make certain decisions on your own independently. When it comes to discipleship and what it means to be a pure disi- uh, mature disciple, I'll just give you a couple of a, a Venn diagram that's been helpful for me to think about what, is it, what does maturity look like as a follower of Christ. And so the first one is this. The first one is this, that, there's a, that you have biblical knowledge, that someone who's uh, mature in their faith has a, a knowledge of the, of the Scripture and understands God's Word, and that's important. Then the second one is this, that there's spiritual intimacy, that it's not just head knowledge, but there's a heart part where you're, you're you have a, a closeness, a relationship with God, that there's a desire to seek Him and to worship Him. And then the third one, there's not just um, head and heart knowledge, but there's a, there's a part of you that says, I'm going to obey, that I, I surrender my life to Christ. My life, I'm willing to sacrifice and to lay down my control so I can say, God, you control my life. That's part of the holy obedience. And this is, of course, this is the mind, the heart, and the will. And all three are essential, that we need all three of them to be a part of what, what it looks like to be a mature disciple. But for every single one of us, we have a tendency to lean towards one or the other. For some of you, in terms of what it looks like for you, you kind of have a tendency to say, this is what I focus in on. And so if we focus in on biblical knowledge and that's it, 
you, you end up in the trap of intellectualism, that you kind of get stuck there in this trap of like head knowledge, and you miss out on the heart and the will. And it can be a dangerous place. But if then if you focus completely on the spiritual intimacy, the heart, you can have zeal and passion, but passion without knowledge is also a dangerous place to be. And so we need to have a balance between our heart and our head. But many people get really hyper, hyper kind of on this emotionalism side. But then on the holy obedience side, there are some people who get so focused on what I got to do and not do, it becomes a list and we, come, we find ourselves in a trap of legalism. And so there's a danger of going to any one of these extremes and focusing there, but we all have a tendency towards one or the other. But mature, uh, mature discipleship and mature disciples says, hey, I need all three biblical knowledge, spiritual intimacy, holy obedience. And this is what we want for those of you as you grow in your maturity as a disciple here at South Hills Church, that you have biblical knowledge, that you have a heart that's soft and tender towards God, that you have a, 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 your life is being changed, that you're, you're willing to lay down your control, your rights, and say, God, I want your will, not my will, be done. This is an important part of what it looks like. Now, once we, we, we continue to grow in terms of what it means to have spiritual maturity, we also need to recognize that we need to have spiritual multiplication, spiritual multiplication, that those who are spiritually mature don't hold it all into themselves, but they pour their lives out into the the life of others so that they can be spiritually mature. If God has given you biblical knowledge, if he's given you a heart passion and he's changed your life, then it's not something you hold to yourself, but that you invest in others. And that's what we see Paul do with Timothy. It talks about it in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's this, this, this need for those who are spiritually mature to pass on what they have to others, to, to what they've heard, what they've experienced, how they've grown, to share, to invest in others who can invest in others. And this is the principle of multiplication. So spiritual maturity is great, but it also needs to push you towards spiritual multiplication. Then the last one, the last uh, uh, filter is this, the filter of equipping. That as a church, in terms of how we move forward, it's going to be moving forward as a body, not just a pastor leading, not just one person, a leader, a couple of leaders. It needs to be the whole church working together. And how we get there is through equipping people to do the work of the ministry. And this is what it talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. We want all y'all the whole body, to be equipped so that you can serve, that you can be a part of um, building the church and reaching others, that you're equipped to share your faith. You're equipped to help disciple someone. You're equipped to, to say, okay, I may not have all the answers, but I know where to go so I can help you grow. This is where we want to be a, a church that equips others so that they can continue to do the work of the ministry. Now, those are the, the five filters. Um, from there, we have to just simply say, what are some application points for us going forward? Let me give you a couple of them. The first one is this. We need to think like a new person. The moment we stop thinking like a new person, then we become very insider-focused. It's about me. It's about my friends. It's about us. And if we stop thinking about the outsider, then we're, we're, we're missing the heart of God. And so we have to keep thinking, what does a new person feel when they come here? 
What does a new person think? When a new person shows up, how are we communicating with them? How are we connecting with them? What is my role? What is my part in reaching them? Because if we don't think about the new person, we become very closed-minded, insider-focused, and we, we will not stay on mission. The second one is this. We need to be willing to change so that the mission doesn't ever change. We need to be willing to hold certain things loosely so that we can say, God, what we need to hold tightly to is the mission of making disciples. This is what we hold on to. This is important for us to get. The third one is this, that we need to prioritize the mission of reaching others above our own preferences. And this is a challenge because we all have preferences, every single one of us. And we're often not shy about sharing our preferences. But what we need to remember is that in, with our own preferences, we still have to be willing to say, is my preference keeping us from reaching people that are different from me? And am I willing to, to recognize this as a preference, but the priority is reaching people for Christ? And so how does that look? What does it look like? We'll discover, we'll move forward, but we have to, to recognize that in our own hearts as we move forward to stay on mission. And then last, we need to pray for our church. That as a church, we need to continue to say, God, will you work in us so that you can do all that you need to do through us so we can stay on mission? So let's take a moment and let's pray together right now. God, as we come into your presence once again in just this time of prayer, we're thankful for the fact that you love us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And that salvation is by grace through faith alone. There's nothing else we need to do. There's not a, a cleaning up of our lives that we need to have before we come to you. We come to you as broken and flawed individuals. And we recognize that you see us for who we are and you love us unconditionally. And you love us so much that you did something for us that we couldn't do on our own. You sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take our place, to forgive us for our sins and to give us eternal life. God, we cannot help us to not miss how great and how good this news is for us personally and for others so that we can stay on mission, Lord, helping others find you, follow you, that as a lifestyle for this for individuals and as a church, we would stay on mission, that you would continue to lead us and guide us into the, the future with the vision that you have for us, that we might surrender ourselves to you because you gave your life for us. We thank you so much in your name. Amen.